Ah, so I was. So when did you realise that you were a project manager? Was it before <laughs> you were called one, or was it after? I, somewhere in between, I think. Um, I mean, I think the points I remember were, you know, I was be- I was being given bigger and bigger things to do, and I and I was beginning to recognise. You know, I did. I still didn't have the words to describe it, but then when I went on a training course, it kind of it kind of gelled for me. And I, in fact, I was talking to another person of sort of similar age to me and experience from the accidental project management world uh, some time ago, and we were at the conference, and we were just talking about this, like how do we even survive because nobody taught us anything, and I think we survived because, and I think the ones that did survive during that sort of era were the ones that had a kind of uh, affinity to you know. A degree of control, but also, I think, more to do with the soft skills of understanding the people side of things and the communication that's required. Hi, and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast for Sunday, the 13th of August, 2023. This week, we've got a rerun, as I'm on holiday, of Peter Taylor, the lazy project manager. So enjoy. Just a quick shout out. Uh, another way that I found that you could support the show, and there's some info in the show notes, is that it's the British Podcast Awards uh, this year for their voting cuts off on the 5th of September for what, what they call the, the People's Choice. Um, I have no delusions that I will not win it, but um, being um, voted for and maybe getting on one on a list, I don't know whether they have a specialised list or anything like that, um, means that discoverability for the podcast would be improved um, which uh, is always the the battle with getting the show out to people so um, if you're inclined to vote for me um, and actually I can probably vote for others as well um, I personally voted for the Social Distance Sports Bar um, uh, podcast that I really enjoy Um, and uh, if you go along to British Pods 2023 uh, for on my website, so nigelcreaser.com slash britishpods2023 uh, and then that will redirect you to the right page and you search for me, uh, the Sunday Lunch Project Manager. It should pop up, click on that and then cast your vote and you verify it and things like that. And then you can vote for other ones as well if you want to. So uh, if you do that, I'd be very grateful and tell your friends. Cheers now. So I have a number of sponsors, affiliate links um, in the way that it's set up um, that have kindly allowed me to uh, um, share their services really. The first one um, is Mike Clayton and Mike runs PM online PM courses and it is a great resource for um, getting those fundamentals of project management uh, trained, reasonably priced, uh, and Mike um, presents it in an accessible and um, uh, clear manner. Um, You can check out some of his um, uh, videos on on his YouTube channel and kind of give you a view of where they are. But um, the the code for that, if you go to nigelcreaser.com slash online PM courses or all one word, lowercase, that'll redirect you to it. 
there's very different levels that you can um, buy. You can buy individual courses, you can buy pathways as well if you like. Um, and I get a kickback off those. Uh, Mike kindly uh, shares me that. So um, if you do jump on and use it, I hope you find it really useful. Um, I think he has money back guarantees and things like that as well. So there's a very limited risk um, on that. So uh, jump on that. And that again, it's nigelcreaser.com slash online PM courses. And enjoy. I wanted to welcome you all to the Sunday Lunch Project podcast. And I've got a, a special guest today, a gentleman called uh, Peter Taylor. Uh, I'm going to read a biog from his uh, his first book and the book that I first uh, got introduced to Peter and I in fact have a signed copy in front of me uh, it says ladies and gentlemen I give you the lazy project manager despite its title of the lazy project manager Peter is in fact a dynamic and commercially astute professional who's achieved notable success in project management program management and professional development of project managers Latterly, the head of projects, a global supplier of performance management solutions. And in, in addition to that, there's a few quotes I've heard, which are perhaps the most entertaining and inspiring speaker in project management today. With over 17 books and presenting over 330 presentations around the world in 25 countries to more than 40,000 people. So, Peter, I want to welcome you to the podcast, and uh, as I say, it's very, I'm very grateful you to come along. Oh, no, I'm delighted. I'm delighted. I'm a bit embarrassed by that, that first kind of introduction on the grounds that that was, a, <laughs> that was a PR thing I put together about 10 years ago, the dynamically commercially astute, oh my goodness me. Yeah, these days I just say I'm a speaker and a project manager. It's a lot simpler. Yeah, I, it's, um, <laughs> I dug out the book um, with the Be Lazy, uh, Be Lazy from Peter written on it, and uh, I'd forgotten that you, I'd got it signed by you. In fact, yeah, so it's, it's that long ago. Yeah. Wow. So that, as you know, I've pinged you a few questions, and um, I kind of want to get behind who Peter is, really. And and with some of the interviews on here, I want to try and get a little bit of a, a variation around people's history and how they got into project management, because I think it's an interesting and varied uh, subject matter, really. So I've kind of given you a bunch of questions that I've sent there. Where where were you born and and where you live now. So kind of, do you want to give us a little background around those? Sure. Okay. So I, I was born in, um, in the UK. I was born in Kent. I was born in Pembury, actually. I was born in Pembury Hospital. Um, and that's interesting because my aunt still works in Pembury Hospital all these years later. And actually, my partner was born in the same hospital. Quite a few years between us, but we, that's, that's the one thing we've discovered we have in common. So wow. I'm from Kent. I've spent very little part of my life living in Kent. I spent most of my life living either where I am now, which is in Berkshire. So I live in Sandhurst in Berkshire. Um, I lived here from my formative years up to my mid-twenties, um, and I returned just over two years ago to the same area. In fact, I lived just down the road from where my parents lived. But I spent nearly 25 years up in the Midlands. Well, you know, I'm just out sort of around the Coventry area. So that's kind of my, my personal journey. I mean, obviously, as you said, you know, I, I've travelled the world in speaking, etc. but I've only ever lived in the UK. So um, that's the kind of two major locations. All right, cool. 
And you mentioned your partner there. A little bit about family and background there. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I'm with uh, a lady called Juliet now. And um, yeah, so we have uh, a family between us. I mean, we actually don't have any children together, but we do have a lot of children between us. So we in fact have nine, ch- nine children. Uh, (laughs) it makes christmas and other events very very interesting so we have nine children um ranging you know five girls four boys ranging from uh, 15 all the way up to 31 so yeah quite a quite a good range there so christmas is a big project in itself then Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd retire to the corner with a nice glass of wine and watch the chaos ensue. They, they're, they're pretty much self-sufficient now, actually. It's quite interesting. So uh, they make a lot of noise, but they're a lot of fun as well. Great. Brilliant. So you said you grew up in the Berkshire area. And yeah. um, so one of the things that I, intrigues me is kind of what what people who are project managers wanted to be when they grew up. And I know some... <laughs> Some project managers have yet to grow up, but um, what what was it? What was your? What did you want to be? Yes, interesting. I'm actually meeting people these days who grew who growing up wanting to be project managers. It's, you know, in my day, that was well, it, it didn't exist. I mean, it yeah. just wasn't spoken about. So, um, well, at, at school they told me I should be an accountant, which fortunately I wasn't. Um, um, what did I want to grow when I grew up? I guess the best thing I could say I wanted to be was kind of my sort of fantasy was to be a writer. Now, clearly, I wasn't thinking about being a writer of business books, but I wanted to be a, an author of some form. Um, so that was an overarching one. Beyond that, I was I was just generally confused about what life was going to offer. I mean, and my best friend is one of those people who had utter clarity. He wanted to become a construction engineer from the moment I met him, really, in, in a, you know, a very early age. And, you know, he's done that and he's been very successful. And in fact, you know, he heads up a, a major construction company in, in the US. So he always had a path and I had completely no path. And I, it was kind of that's kind of how I just fell into project management, really. Oh, right. So going on to that with the, the project management is kind of did I'm guessing you didn't. Um, go to university and have a project management degree and that sort of thing because I'm um, I, I kind of know roughly no. you're a similar age to me and I don't <laughs> think those existed then uh, no no so my education was yeah fairly typical I mean I you know I did my sort of O levels and I then started doing some A levels and I really I wasn't educationally minded at that point I was far too much of a distracted rebel I suppose so I I, I quit school and I went off and worked for a year to make some money and then I went back to college and crammed my A-levels in one year because that's about as much time as I could bother to give to that kind of activity. Um, and what then was that, I, What was that first job then? The first job was, um, I, mean, I just, I spent a summer doing odd jobs basically. I, I joined a recruitment agency and did everything from packaging boxes to kicking parcels off trains and things like that. I, I would say my first real job was I joined a company because I, I shared a, a, a house with a few other guys and they worked in this company. It was part of the aeronautical um, defense system uh, suppliers and they, they were recruiting like crazy. And I, I joined and my first real job was a progress chaser. I sat there on a printed circuit board assembly uh, section and I had to basically make sure well, yeah, I, my job was supposed to know where all the work orders were at any given time. Uh, I wasn't very good at it, to be honest. So uh, I was I was a bit too lazy in the wrong way at that point. Um, and it didn't really inspire me. But that was my first job. And then eventually I kind of then I fell into um, something I kind of got the hang of, which was, you know, stock control, stock management, warehouse management. And then, um, you know, it kind of moved on from there. All right. So then you were, your education, you went back and did some more 
studying you said well i did some i did some related to the work i was doing and then it kind of you know what what clicked for me was um you know i joined a company a smaller company at that point and they happened to be um deploying um an mrp materials requirements planning solution for those who might remember mrp yeah. before erp or mrp mrp2 then erp yeah, I um remember those uh, and the, the IT director of that company had basically customized the hell out of this uh, particular solution and then <laughs> moved on to start his own company. Um, and they were trying to basically deploy the next generation of software in a kind of vanilla format. And they needed someone to do a comparison. And for, and for whatever reason, I had some spare time. I showed some some aptitude to do this. I had some structure and discipline and around it. I produced some nice reports. And then from there, I kind of um, I spent time working with the consultants that came in with us. And I realized that those those guys coming in would seem to drive much better cars than I had. And they seemed to have much better suits than I was wearing. And therefore, I decided that was the job I should join. And if you like, I kind of fell into it at that point. All right. So that so that was your step into a sort of a career path then really yeah so that was my career path and but i was i was at that point i was a manufacturing consultant um but i joined a company and, and i can look back and i can look see it now i mean i can see that i was this was my first project because i was doing some work for one of the um, um uh, the home computer companies at the time one of the many that kind of exploded onto the scene yeah. And and they had this brilliant um, uh, technique of of uh, sales and repairs because um, they were I mean they were literally I mean they, they, it was the heyday um, they were number one in uh, the France and I think they were number three in the UK or at computers at the time nice. um, and they were selling thousands a week actually thousands and thousands of these things but of course a lot of you know a percentage of them came back because people said they didn't work and that was quite possible but the company had decided their policy on on this was actually it was the users were idiots and therefore we would record the serial number um we put them in a brand new box and sell them to someone else and if that second person then sent them back we'd say actually it's not the user there is a problem in which case we put them in a big pile at the far end of this warehouse and send a brand new one out um, and everybody was happy, but suddenly I realized that actually now we had 10,000 of these boxes in the corner and actually that was a lot of money. So they said we need to repair them. So my first project, I would say, was to design a very simple repair, a test and repair line. It was such a simple project, really, because all the resources were in one place. I think I had to walk up the road to a, uh, a, a shop to buy a couple of pieces of equipment and that was it. But I mean, the people were there, the, the desk and everything we needed, etc., was there. It was just a matter of putting together this this uh, structure and process which i did fairly quickly um and nobody called me a project manager it wasn't decided it was a project but i can look back and go actually that for me was my very first project very simple um but it kind of gave me some some insight into you know the approaches that seemed to work for me and i had it was many years it was five years after that i think i was called a project manager and eight years after that i was ever sent on a training course to be a project manager yeah, so I was. So when did you realise that you were a project manager? Was it before <laughs> you were called one, or was it after? I, somewhere in between, I think. Um, I mean, I think the points I remember were, you know, I was be, I was being given bigger and bigger things to do, and like, and I was beginning to recognise. You know, I did. I still didn't have the words to describe it. But then when I went on a training course, it kind of it kind of gelled for me. And I, in fact, I was talking to another person of sort of similar age to me and experience from the accidental project management world uh, some time ago. And we were at a conference and we were just talking about this, like, how do we even survive? Because nobody taught us anything. And I think we survived because and I think the ones that did survive during that sort of era 
were the ones that had a kind of uh, affinity to, you know, a degree of control, but also I think more to do with the soft skills of understanding the people side of things and the communication that's required. And then when I went on the course, it gave me all the kind of almost mechanics of project management. Like, oh, wow. Okay. I understand that. Oh, that would have been useful to understand, etc. So I would say somewhere, yeah, somewhere in that kind of period, I kind of evolved into a project manager and, um, you know, took it from there. Yeah. And, and did you sit there back there and think, right, Oh, I am doing this project management training. I'm doing this. This is what I'm going to be doing for the foreseeable future. Or was it a case of this seems to be the right thing to do at this time? Um, I think the latter. It's the yeah. right thing to do at this time. I mean, I, one thing I'm terrible at is having any, you know, the worst interview question for me, and I mean, it's a long time since I've really been interviewed, but the worst interview question for me is, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? I haven't got a clue. You know, I've never had that kind of projection of my life. It's like, this is interesting. And who knows where it might, where it might take you? And, and really, you know, writing the book was kind of like that. You know, I, I had no idea. I thought I'd like to write a book. I'll write a book. And, you know, here we are. Okay. So I won't ask that question and I'll cross that off my list. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you just mentioned one of the things, that the fact that your first project you remembered being that, uh, that mm -hmm. unofficial project, if you like. Um, you talk about the, it sounds like you, you had the MRP organization and the um, uh, working with the desktop suppliers. What, what other industries have you worked across? I've worked in most industries over the years. I mean, I haven't worked in construction. I wouldn't have a clue what to do in construction. And I haven't worked in sort of, you know, space, um, you know, mm. design or anything like that. But pretty much every other basic industry, whether it be pharmaceutical, banking or consulting services or anything like that. I've, I've you know, that's one of the beauties of, of a consultative type world. You know, you, you touch many points. I mean, you know, my background is in manufacturing, Um it's a long time since I've actually dedicated to manufacturing, but that, that is my background. But, you know, I, I like touching, um, you know, many, many industries, et cetera, and they're all interesting. And, you know, everything I I get involved in, I, I like to learn. When I, when I published my, you know, the first book, you know, I, I kind of annoyed the hell out of my publishers because I, all I wanted to do was learn about the publishing industry. And I turned up at shows and things like that just to understand it. Uh, and they were quite bewildered that anybody would actually want to do that. They weren't used to it, authors doing that. But that's that's me. And I like to learn it. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in retail as well. And, and uh, you know, that's a fascinating world. That's where I am right now in retail. Yeah. And it's again, it's it's just fantastic. It's fascinating to learn the dynamics of, of that well, very dynamic business right now. I mean, retail is just changing rapidly. So that's what excites me. Yeah, I, I, I remember um, all, all all these different industries have their uniqueness, don't they? And I remember working in a with an organisation where I was doing a financial planning si system, and they uh, they pointed out that there was no they were part of the Dixons Group, and it was a case of they had a change freeze on any of their IT systems from the middle of November until the end of January, and it's kind of like, well, why? And then I kind of dropped the penny dropped is that's their biggest uh, time when they get any money in at all, so they didn't want anything if they couldn't take payments at a at a shop they're massive impact on their business oh yeah absolutely golden quarter you know we've yeah. just gone through that etc and, and that's the kind of things you learn about it you know it's okay that's fascinating so i understand the pattern of the projects that we've got underway at the moment and, and what works and what doesn't work and when do you leave them alone and when do you try and make differences for them yeah yeah so talking about your projects then and like maybe the, it's the ones you're on now and although um what is the largest pro and and I'm not asking for stats and details to about verify that it is the largest. What would you say was your your largest or gnarliest project that well, uh, you managed, and what did you learn on it? Uh, 
most I pretty much learned everything that was really you know, really practical on this thing. So this was it was nearly three years in the end. It was um, it was in uh, still. Uh, stockholding industry it was deployment of a kind of um uh, th this company had many depots all over the place where people could go and order steel and all the other stuff that goes you know with that kind of heavy metal kind of structure material um and you know uh this this was a this was the controlled rollout of an mrp system um with financials and everything uh, it was complex it was difficult they were going through a transformation they, you know so it actually was was very challenging and we got into also distribution requirements planning as well and and they had all the warehouses and restocking and ordering and it was it was it was fascinating from that point of view um but it took a long long time and and kind of what i learned from this was so many lessons that you know it, it you know it, it went well it went disastrously long wrong it it kind of recovered it was just it, it went almost legal at one point and then it went to a wonderful finish etc so there was everything and i think what i really the key i think two things i learned on this one is i would say i would summarize this one is the important i mean i'm not a person i really hate people who just audit trail for the sake of it but i kept good records and actually you know when we had the bad times the ability to go back and reference clearly conversations decisions etc so you know i really don't like you know I, and people always joke about me but you know i have no emails in my inbox or anything and i don't know store emails because it's in the moment for me and it's it's a conversational thing not a kind of an audit trail but i do keep records in, in critical ones so that that proves very valuable to me i think and the second thing which is um was was learning about the kind of dynamics of the users because one of the big selling points on this this solution we were putting in was that we would make life much faster for the people who used it uh, because the old system was staggeringly slow you know they you know imagine some guys comes in they've, they've ordered some some material it's being loaded up on the lorry right now and you know and they're standing there tapping their fingers and banging and etc because they're waiting for the system to catch up with the order process and payment and this was brilliant. So when we when we deployed the first, you know, ten or so of these depots, etc., um, uh, service desks, etc., you know, everybody was delighted. You know, there was teething problems, training problems, etc. But everybody was delighted because it was it was like lightning speed compared to the old system. What I didn't anticipate was that halfway through the deployment of about forty of these uh, these locations, of course, the old system was no longer burdened by all these major depots because we rolled them out quickly. So the old system was going at lightning speed and nobody understood why we had they had to change at all. So, you know, learning about the fact change impacts people in different ways and you have to anticipate a lot, I think, was kind of one of the, one of the other big messages or big lessons I learned from that experience to anticipate the impact on people. And that actually projects, the longer they are, the more things change during the project. Yeah, I can see how that can uh, frustrate people, especially if they're moving on to a new one that it's subtly different and the perception can be difficult on user experience kind of so looking at the so i don't know whether it would drop within this project would it would uh, what's your biggest screw up from a project point of view and and what and i, I hopefully you would have learned something from it <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, you, you've you've got the lazy project manager. That is an entire book of screw ups, which uh, <laughs> and lessons I've learned. Which is one of the things people tell me they like about the book. One, it's short. Two, it's funny. And three, it's actually got honest lessons in it. Whereas most 
project management books at that time were just theoretical masterpieces of, of perfection, um, which I don't think necessarily helps people. I mean, my biggest screw up, I mean, it's just, there's just so many, I think, um, that, that that you can go through in that one. I mean, um, you know, I think... I mean, the one I'm going to touch on is was again was a, it was from that project, the big project. It was realizing the kind. It, was it was it a screw up as such? It was. I completely underestimated the influence of a particular stakeholder um, in this one, and I can't go into too much detail on it. But the point is, this particular person wanted a piece of functionality, and we kept saying that's not in the contract. Or I kept saying it's not in the contract. It's not in the scope. We talked about it. We didn't do it, etc. And and they were so nice about it every single time because this would happen every few months. They come and have a chat with me over a coffee or raise it at the steering meeting or whatever. And every time we t- I'd, I'd rebuff it and go, ah, do you remember this? You know, I can't say their name obviously, but you know, Mr. X, do you remember this? We talked about this. Oh yes, yes, I remember that. I mean, right at the very end, when we, and there was a major milestone that had to be signed off, and it was uh, it was a tough old contract because if they didn't sign this milestone off, they basically had the the right to go back and try and reclaim all of the money that we had already. I mean, those days, you know, revenue recognition was very yeah. different. Yeah. You know, the moment the sort of paperwork was signed, we think we actually in, in basically set an invoice for about eighty percent of the revenue sort of thing. <laughs> um, that, we can't do that now, obviously. But my, right at the very end, he he basically just dug his heels in. And and you know th- this guy was 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 a very amiable, wonderful person. He was very influential because he was the nephew of the of founder of the organisation. He had gazillion shares, etc. And we had to do it in the end. We had to do it, and we had to do it at our own cost, etc. And it wasn't. It was you know it added another couple of months to the project, which you know on that on that scale of project maybe not so critical. But I did. It was a screw up in the sense of I didn't truly anticipate or understand what this guy could do if he wanted to and he was so nice about it you know i almost apologized you know but you know it's it's understand your stakeholders is critical really is yeah yeah and they don't they don't necessarily need to be shouting and banging a desk to uh, be uh, not supportive do they no i mean because in contrast there was there was the um, you know the son of the devil who was the it director who was always banging his fists and demanding stuff and you know actually everybody including the uh, company members from the board you know got bored with him in the end and 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 kind of ignored him so yeah, it's the, yeah it's, they say it's the quiet ones <laughs> that's a fair point so Flipping it, let's move back to being a bit more positive on these. What what would you say was your proudest project delivery? You know, can I cheat and say, well, actually finishing my first book? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's, it's a. I know, having now done a couple, I know what the project it is now. Yes, yeah, because I mean, it was an, it was completely unknown for me, and it was like, well, I, I wanted to do a book. Um, I wanted to do, write a book because I thought it would support my speaking, and that's really the advice I was given. So you know, and I was very fortunate. I found a publisher who were willing to publish this crazy title book called The Lazy Project Manager. <laughs> um, but I had a very like, what well, was interesting. They came back to me and they said, "Look, yeah, we're, they were a very small publishing house." And they said, "Well, look, one of our books is um, we're not going to go ahead with it. So there is a there's like a two month window, so we could actually publish it this year. But can you write it? Can you get a manuscript in like eight weeks?" Of course, I said yes. <laughs> in fact, I did it much faster than that because I had a lot. I mean, to be fair, I had a lot of thoughts behind it. I had the website I built, as yeah, you know, stuff put together. So it was, it wasn't that onerous. Um, but it's like, okay, yes. And I didn't, you know, I had no idea how to write a book. And I, and I just, you know, basically locked myself in my room. There was post-it notes everywhere and bits of paper and 
cans of energy drinks um, uh, and, and the like, and I and I I shut myself away for just over a week to produce the first sort of draft of it, and then I was just in despair because it was ten thousand words short from what they wanted, and I could I'd run out of things to say, and you know, and all that, and then um, and, but eventually, you know. It came out, and you know, it, I was very fortunate. It was very successful as a result. So, you know, that was a that was a project, and I and I actually did a kind of a retrospective on it afterwards, and kind of and just, you know, I could look at it and go, oh well, if Peter, if you'd actually thought about this as a bit more of a project rather than just sitting there staring at a screen, then actually you might have structured this a bit better and done something different. So, yeah, that's probably my proudest moment is that it, it, it existed, and obviously since then, obviously very proud on the success it's had. Brilliant. So kind of a link to that really is what 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 made you start the writing and the blogging and and the speaking i think you alluded to there that you were looking to do speaking and then yes. you got the podcast oh, yeah. and and the, the the array of things that you do nowadays yes i mean it all came out um from from all that really so you know i was i i I'd worked with a, a gentleman who I dedicate the book to actually, and I, I'd worked with him in a number of companies, and we actually worked in a couple more companies after that. And it, it, the, the all Rick kicked off with he um, basically said, "Well, I think it's time for me to move on." You know, uh, he would run professional services, you know, globally or whatever, and and he always recognised the need for someone to oversee the kind of project community. And this was before PMOs existed. You know, we had a centre of excellence and a community yeah. of etc um he said well i think i'm moving on what are you going to do next i said well, i kind of still have work to do here and i kind of enjoy it but you know i, I want to do a bit more speaking i kind of enjoy that uh, and that's when he insulted me and said you, you know you're really good at this but you're the laziest person i've ever met and that's kind of where the lazy project manager came from so i, I kind of had then had what turned out to be a brand in the end i didn't realize that so um it was like, well, okay, a book. A book would help me speaking. Right, okay, I'll write a book. And I was very lucky and I got a publisher and we, we produced a book. Um, and actually it was, I, 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 I was grateful in the end because it was one of those publishing deals which was joint risk. So basically said, yeah, we'll publish your book, but we need you to buy X number of books, which was quite a big number <laughs> at, a, at a rate. Yeah. And of course, I said, yes, I would have said anything at that point, you know, sell my children, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to be an author. It's fantastic. So when my when my four sample copies turned up, it was very excited. And when the lorry turned up with the shipment for my garage, it's like, <laughs> um, it was like, um, OK, I need to get rid of these. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to start speaking. And obviously, nobody paid me in those days. So I did you know, PMI uh, events, I did APM events, stuff like that, uh, British Computer Society events. And of course, I trolled along a load of books and, and sold them. And, you know, within a fairly short period of time, I, I managed to get rid of all the books and actually ordered some more. So that was really good. But, like, you know, it kind of kickstarted me that, and it's something that's quite common these days, you know, and, and I'm sure you know this, they, they, you know, publishers are really kind of good if you, if you, but they also expect authors to do a promotion themselves, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah. I tried everything and I, you know, the website was there and I've much improved it over time. I started blogging and that seemed to work. Um, and, you know, it, obviously I did things, you know, extracts from the book or articles based on the principles of the book. That was quite popular. Um, I, I gave a, it a go at a podcast and I was very excited when a few people started subscribing and then, you know, astonished when I had my first thousand people kind of, you know, listening to the podcast and, and it's gone on since there. Um, and I would try many things. There's been, the, you know, the latest project manager e-learning course, you know, I've tried selling the books online, I mean, anything and everything to kind of 
promote market etc and get my myself out there and you know obviously over time that first year of speaking for free in the UK turned into my first invitation to go abroad and then then it's a kind of it's now it's a mixture you know I do some um, kind of giving back to the uh, the community if you like and it keeps me in practice as well and I like going to these events and some obviously people pay me for it, the larger ones etc so it, it, that's kind of really how it came about and it's astonishingly it'll be 10 years in May this, this year I've been actually doing that. Yeah and I noted when I was looking at the book earlier I noticed that it was the, the copyright on it was 2009 and it kind of seemed 2009 seems so long ago but only yesterday as well so it's really strange. Yeah I know it's it's mm. I know. Um, I mean, maybe it's that's just like, age feeling like. Yeah, I think, yeah, I guess so. Like 10 years. And that's kind of, I go back to the early point. If someone said to me, what are you going to be doing in five or 10 years? I wouldn't say, well, I'll, I'll have written. Well, actually, I'm just in the process of um, you know, writing my 19th and 20th book. Like, I, w- I would never have envisaged that. I would have been happy with you know, the book, if you like. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just couldn't imagine that 10 years later that to a degree I would be known to a degree I've been successful and you know I have the opportunity to to write and speak and travel you know 25 countries around the world it's just it's been amazing yeah I'm still still waiting for that call for Iceland though if I I'm still, absolutely, thank you for that plug I am definitely <laughs> going to Iceland it got very close at one point um I met some very nice people with long surnames from Iceland yeah. so Iceland if you're listening I am desperate to come to Iceland <laughs> and speak yeah i'm not sure my uh, my listenership is that wide at the moment maybe it will be one day so so, so just talking about books talking about obviously you you uh producing your books but just a what's the last project book that you read um well i've just started actually so one of the things what's nice is the fact that lots of people send me books these days to read and mm-hmm. i've i've, I've consciously took december and most of january off to go and read other books um yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've just I've got a pile next to me right on my windowsill right now, and the top one is the one that a lady called Ruth Pierce sent me. Which oh is, yeah, I know, and I've, I've seen Ruth on. Uh, okay, be a project motivator, be yeah. a project motivator, yeah. unlock the secrets of strength-based project management. So I've just literally started that one. Um, so you know, I don't have a, I don't have a view. Um, I've just finished the chapter on an accidental project manager, so uh, I recognise a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so that's currently what I'm reading. So we'll see where that one goes, and then I'll move down. I've actually got eight books to read so um i need to crack on with those ones yeah i was chatting over i think it was over linkedin with ruth on see if i could get her on this uh, podcast as well so that would be really good well, yeah you can tell her you know <laughs> you can tell her you, you know me and uh, yeah. if she if she wants a good review to get on your podcast <laughs> i'll try that bro <laughs> um so again similar sort of thing look podcasts and blogs what's what what do you listen to what are you or what do you read that you find um right. that sort so, of like sparks your project management um yeah uh, I'll, I'll be honest yeah i'll be honest on podcasts i haven't um i haven't listened to many podcasts uh for, for a long time i mean you know cornelius fiction as one mm. was, was an old favorite of mine um uh any other few others i would dip in and out of but i haven't listened to podcasts for a while and that's probably partly down to the fact i'm not doing a huge amount of commuting these days which i used to do um blogs yes and i i'll be I, 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 you know i'm not a particular follower of blogs uh, or writers but what flies out at me if i see something on linkedin that's intriguing yeah. i you know i'm a classic sort of right okay well you've got 30 seconds and if it hooks me i'll i'll read more on it and that that's kind of where i go with it or 
you know, if I've been talking to someone about a particular topic or I have a conference coming up that's themed in a certain way, some things will leap out. So I'm a, I'm a very heavy LinkedIn user and, you know, mm-hmm. and I enjoy some, there are some good articles, good blogs out there. So I don't have a particular affinity to anybody, um, but I like lots of people and I'm, I'm more interested by the actual specific blog article itself. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. So just, you mentioned that you're, um, you've got your 19th and your 20th book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in in progress at the moment. I know you. I think your was it your it must be your 18th. Then the presentation on presentations came out. Um, was it November time, October time? Yeah, that one. Yes, that's because um, one of my favourite ones. Because I mean, I did a lot of presentations. You get asked lots of questions, and so yeah. I, I put together this crazy thing called the presentation on presentations, which is sixty minutes of how to be a good presenter and all the bad things you can do. And of course, there were some notes of it, and then it became a kind of a one-day workshop. And then, and I thought, well, this is actually the basis of a book, so let's get that out of the way. And that's that's one of the beauties of the world these days in publishing. I've sort of digressed a little bit, but you know, that I I have books are published by you know the, the regular sort of publishers but also you can self-publish so easy through amazon so there are some books i can just churn out there and go you know i can tick that i've done that um it'll be useful i can sell a few of those or people might be interested so that's what that one is now currently i'm working on on two books um and you know they're both with um traditional publishers and they're extremely different and and they're going to take a while to do really but i'm quite excited about both of them they're very both very different one is to do with project management and one isn't to do with project management so that in itself makes it different and interesting cool cool so we get we get to see them later in the year or early next year i'd imagine next year um you know these these with the drafts will hit the publishers mid-year so they typically take at least six months to actually put them through their little processing sausage machine and it'll come out in 2020 all right, cool, excellent. So, I've got a couple of final questions on on this. It's kind of okay. uh, a mix, really. Is one of them is is what your what would be your top tip to a a seasoned PM that's out there these days? Uh, aside so, from buy all your books, but, you know, <laughs> well, obviously they're seasoned. They've already read all my books. Clearly, <laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I met, and it's interesting. So, you know, obviously, I run, I run PMOs and have run PMOs for years. And one of the things I always differentiate senior project managers are not, I mean, to a degree, it is about their experience, their capability to scale a project, the complexity of project that they've delivered to manage successfully. But the other thing I, I measure, and, I, and this is my challenge back to seasoned project managers, is share. I mean, share your knowledge with other people, and. You know, yes, part of what I do is very commercial. Part of what I do is obviously for me and my family and, and income, etc. But I also do quite a bit of stuff to kind of try and give a little bit back to the community. And, uh, you know, that's what I like to see in project managers. Every single project manager who's seasoned has a story to tell. And they may they may want to tell it in different ways. I mean, they will, we all have their strengths and weaknesses in, in a way we want to communicate it. Yeah. But even if it's a very simple blog article, if it's a very, you know, even a LinkedIn you know, one-liner it's, or a tweet or anything like that, it's, it is, there are so many opportunities to share and there are so many people joining the profession. And it's great. Um, and they are, yeah, we started off with, honest, there are a lot of people who intend to be project managers and they're taking degrees, et cetera, but they actually need that kind of practical advice as well. So I, I think my top tip for, is like, if you've learned this much, you've learned something that's valuable to other people. So don't keep it yourself, you know, share it with the green beans. Brilliant. So exactly sort of flip side of that then is the, the final question of you've, you've, you've got one, one presentation slide. <laughs> and that one presentation slide you're allowed to 
time travel to see young Peter when he's doing that first repair line project. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, what 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 would you what would be on that slide you tell him about project management? It's something I've talked about a lot. So it's very simple and it's two words. And it's and I was very fortunate. I was given these two words, uh, this two word advice. The guy I worked for, I know back in his early days, I mean, he knew he knew as far as I know, he knew nothing about projects or project management. We were all consultants effectively. Yeah. But he had he came to me and he said, look, um, you know, this is what you're doing. He said, Peter, there's a simple guide I have, which is no surprises. Yeah, you can screw up as much as you like within reason. He said, and if you, you know, if I, if you come to me and tell me about it, we'll work together and try and find a way to resolve it. He says, but if something lands on my desk that you haven't told me about, and it's a problem, and it's something that you're responsible for, um, I, it's a surprise. Then we'll be having a very different conversation. And, and I think that's really at the heart of project management. Project management is working with this f- crazy, dynamic, changing, complex, multi-person, multi-resource, multi-issue type world over, over a period of time. And actually, the project manager's job is to try and elevate themselves to a point of trying to anticipate as much as possible. I know everything is impossible, clearly. Yeah, yeah. But the more you can elevate. And one of the biggest weaknesses I see in immature project managers is they get so dragged down into the weeds that they kind of forget their, um, you know, more for supporting your project team and getting involved and not being an aloof remote resource. But I see it so often they get, they get dragged down into so much detail. They never spend the time going, Oh, hang on, let me just look at this. How's the project going? Are we heading in the right direction? Is there something, you know, you know, is this project Titanic heading for an iceberg over there yeah. potentially? It's that kind of thing. So, I, you know, I think a slide that just says no surprises is is extremely – it worked for me anyway, and I think it's extremely good advice. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Peter, that, I've, I've come to the end of my, my questions, uh, uh, but I could probably listen to you uh, for much longer. Um, if people want to hear more about you, uh, get hold of your books. Where Where's the best place they can get hold of or find out details? Yeah, I'm in the website, www.thelazyprojectmanager.com is the best place to go to. And I'm, I'm at, and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter and, you know, people just can connect to me that way. I love connecting to people on LinkedIn particularly. And, um, yeah, I'm out there. That's brilliant. Okay. Well, that's it. Thank you very much. Again, um, I, I maybe not said it at the beginning, but I'm a little bit of a fanboy from getting the book. And you're a bit of an inspiration to uh, getting my backside into writing something as well. So, Uh, Thank you for that sharing and inspiring and um, catch up with you again. Yeah. Thanks everybody. And be lazy. Cheers. Bye now. Another great sponsor of the show comes in the form of Air Manual. Um, Air Manual is a, well, it's a tool for documenting process, which um, and best practices. Um, uh, it's run. It's, it's a company formed by guy, one of my uh, interviewees, uh, Alexis Kingsbury. Um, essentially, uh, and, I, and I kind of summarised why my view of where we see documentation and my experience has been: people will document something, a process, they'll put it in a, a visio diagram that gets loaded onto a SharePoint site or something similar. And then a bunch of pro- that. So then, once that, that diagram has been shared with senior management, they're happy. They have a process in the business. But then the, the detailed procedures underneath it might be in Word documents, in, uh, just poorly kept and not linked easily and not updated. And what Air Manual does, it allows you to put in a 
it's a tool for doing this kind of thing. You whack it in, uh, the service in there, get in there, put in your process, your flow, and you build it down to as low a level of detail, even to the point of checklists where people can check off they've done it. So it creates that um, uh, guided checklists, um, easy to create, easy to maintain, and all in one place. And no one's kind of rooting around to find the SharePoint, and then when you change to new SharePoint services and all that stuff, it's all there. So if you pop along to nigelcreaser.com slash airmanual, um, there's a bit more detail there and a link there to click on to um, go and get, I think uh, they offer a trial and things like that. So uh, uh, it, uh, it, it's something that I think uh, can easily um, reduce the amount of errors, rework, etc. within our organisation. So um, yeah, take a look. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Peter there. For those who've listened to it before, I hope you picked out some new things. For those who haven't, maybe you want to jump back, listen to some of the, the back catalogue, uh, although we've got a couple of back catalogue items coming up over the next couple of weeks, if you're not convinced. So look after yourself. Cheers then. So this is my final wrap-up every week you're going to hear this you're going to get bored of it but you can always click next podcast if so um if you have enjoyed it if you've listened to this podcast to the end of this uh show and you think that was great i'd love to be able to help nigel um there are loads of ways you can do it um the, the first and, and obvious way is to um share the podcast send it out to people um, if you if you know colleagues and friends who'd benefit from it, you think they'd enjoy it, just send them the link. Grab one of the links send, or send them to www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts. That's ni- www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts. And that will push them over to a, um, a link tree link and it's got all of the different ways they can consume the, the podcast. Uh, if you are feeling generous and have a big bag of cash, you could grab a copy of one of my books. Obviously, um, uh, they're available in all the usual places, and print and, and, and digital. Again, jump on the website, www.nigelcreaser.com slash shop, and that will give you a list of all the different ways that you can contribute um, and, and grab copies of the book. Also got... Um, links to all my guests' books on there as well, where I get a little bit of a kickback from them. Um, if you are of a sporting mind, um, I have a number through doing some of my um, judo and, and running uh, antics. Uh, I've managed to secure a few um, uh, affiliate links and affiliates uh, there as well. So in there, somewhere in the sponsors page, there's links to those as well. So clicking onto those and grabbing uh, your if you're with it if you're looking to uh, get super fit then that would be fabulous as well and i get a little kickback from those uh, i have a patreon account it's patreon.com slash sunday lunch pm uh, so again you can ping something in there buy me a coffee or whatever and finally obviously the most important is coming back coming back listen again um because uh the more of you that come back uh the more uh, visibility I get because there's 
more times that it's downloaded and all the SEO works and things like that. So, yeah, that's it. So, uh, if you can help me out, I would be much appreciated. If you can't, don't worry about it. Thank you very much. Cheers now. Bye. the latest affiliate that I've got on the show now is Riverside. Um, I use Riverside to do my interviews, Riverside FM. Um, <clears throat> it kind of offers you a whole, if you like, micro studio management producer tooling and, and, and goes beyond that. Has a really good free layer. <clears throat> and I, um, I've been using it for a while now. I find it really good. When I've had issues, even though I'm not on one of the higher paid levels, the support has been quick responsive and, and, and of high quality and, and people keen to help me. Uh, the organisation seems really good, the product seems really intuitive um, and uh, quality is really good as well. And they, it's, it's a clever way of doing it is when you're, you're recording through your browsers so you've not got loads of desktop resources being used compared to some other products that I've used. Um, and what they also do is they do a, um, they stream a, a lower quality version of it up onto uh, as you're doing the interview, so you're not burning bandwidth while you're doing the interview and potentially uh, impacting on the quality of the conversation. Uh, and then at the end, it uploads it, uh, the, the higher quality from your browser. Um, I mean, it, it's just a really good way of doing it. So um, if you are um, thinking of doing a podcast and you're doing a podcast, I, I would recommend using this tool. I found it really good. Best, best of the tools that I've tried using um, today. And you can get that nigelcreaser.com slash riverside and that will redirect you to uh, my kickback page uh, on their site and there I will get a little kickback uh, from them. So um, take a look. Thanks. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. <laughs>